All right, what is going on, everybody? Episode number seven of the Chasing Waypoints podcast, and this time around, we've got something special. Uh, with the car rally fever coming up here shortly in the next few days, most of the teams are arriving already in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we are starting to see some people ask some questions about this Dakar thing already, which is pretty cool. Uh, getting more into the roadbook thing. So for this episode, we have Scott Bright, uh, who's got about 10 years now under his belt uh, in this whole rally world, has traveled the world already uh, as a participant in rally events and is now actually spreading uh, spreading the good word. He is uh, putting on classes. He works with Rally Pan Am uh, and doing some training and stuff like that, but don't want to give too much of it away. That is a conversation that we are going to have. You'll be listening to here in just a second. As a primer, we do start off talking about uh, Cindy, his wife, who is actually also a now rally racer and rally participant. So uh, Scott has been coaching her, and at the last uh, rally event that I got to see her at, Baja Rally, um, she did the navigating, he did the following, which was really, really cool. So that's what we're starting off with. Stay tuned. We are on episode number seven of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Yeah, so... um and and Cindy uh, was in, she's interested in the things that I'm interested in, and and we like spending time together. And whether that's you know going shopping or <laughs> riding <laughs> motorcycles or snowmobiles or, or adventuring around the world, we just like to do that stuff together. And so we're kind of automatically interested in the same things um, as a choice. And so when I was kind of racing rally, she's like, hey, I. I want to do that. She's a very competent motorcycle rider. Um, she's also a, a pilot, a private pilot. And there's so many things about, you know, cap headings and directions and um, speeds and distance of travel and all those things that are very parallel to uh, flying. And so she, she was kind of interested in, in all those parallels and a lot of those kind of made sense to her. So, um, but she's not one of the ones who would have spent you know, 800 to a thousand bucks on a road book, uh, mount and then spent a bunch of gas money and time and whatnot to go out, um, um, to learn how to do it. You know, she, you kind of need that, that, that gentle hand to kind of help you get through it the first time. Um, most of the guys that I ride motorcycles with <clears throat> are notoriously cheap. You know, they kind of whine about a, you know, an $80, race entry fee versus a $60 race entry fee, you know, why is the 80 bucks so high, you know, so you kind of got to get out of that mindset when you're going to rally because, um, they also like to whine about how far it is to drive. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to drive more than six or seven hours away because then they won't be home, you know, the night of the race, blah, blah, blah. So you got to really transition people out of that mindset and more into the adventure mindset. Like this is going to be a massive adventure and you're going to get to see things you've never seen before. You're going to go places you've never gone before. You'll probably never go there again. Mm -hmm. And and this is how you get there. And this is how you go through that adventure. This is your ticket to do something that you've never done before and you'll probably never do again. Um, and and so that's that's the intrigue for me. You know, you have to quit thinking about it as a motorcycle race and start thinking about it as an adventure. Um, and I think that's key. Then the other piece is, is like, it, it's a pretty big barrier to get into the sport. You know, there is so much involved with getting a motorcycle ready to go, to, to go even just navigate a, a standard rally route. Mm -hmm. Even if I had a route that went straight out of your garage, mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot of equipment to, to experience that, to go do that for the first time. I've got a group of friends here in Colorado mm -hmm. um, who I'm gently coaxing into the sport. Um, and and some of them are a little cautious. Others are just biting off more than they can chew. Mm -hmm. Like I've got a group of three guys that really want to go. <laughs> they want to go do the Hellas rally in Greece. Oh. <laughs> None of them have ever had a navigation piece of equipment on their handlebars before, nor yeah. have ridden even the first you know, tulip of a road book, but they've, they've signed up and paid their money to go do this Hellas rally. And, yeah. and so it's like, wow, guys, you have a lot to learn between now and next August. Let's get started on that. You know, and they keep finding reasons to put it off and not do it and not train and not, 
not just log miles on road books and stuff. And so you really kind of got to break them through. And I've offered to every single one of them, Hey, come over to my house. I have a bike that's already ready to go. It has all the nav equipment on it. I have a road book that's 30 kilometers that goes right out of my garage and you can go ride it and see how you do. And you can understand the, you know, the daunting task that you're in for. Um, but we really just have to get you in and have you just experience that before you're going to know that you really need to go to a rally school. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you show up in Greece um, and you yeah. haven't really done your homework on a road book, you won't make the first turn off the start line on the first day and you're going to blow a five day quote unquote vacation because you'll just be lost. Yeah. Just miserable. Yeah. Or, and or, so that's not cool. And so what I want to do, my goal is to just really break in those, you know, beginner guys and just kind of show them how fun it can be. Yeah. What, um, you were mentioning about the, uh, the rally school a little bit earlier and, and what you're yeah. doing in, in training. So what, um, how did that get started and what's the, what's the deal there? Yeah. So, um, well, <clears throat> it kind of dates way back to the, you know, the beginning of this past decade. And, and, you know, I, I rode my first road book in 2010, I think, um, and had an absolute blast mm-hmm. and, uh, just started like trying to figure out where I could go to ride more, where I could go to do more, um, navigation. I really love the navigation part of it. Um, as a, you know, an older off-road racer, um, I felt like this sort of format kind of allowed me a way to be competitive again. Um, because you know, the kids, 17, 18, 19 year old kids are just too damn fast nowadays (laughs) Uh, in the enduro circuit. So, you know, this is a way where I can use, use my head to, to be competitive with guys who are faster than me, you know? And so that's, that was the appeal to me. And so early two thousands, I started riding a bunch of that stuff and, uh, rode as many of, you know, Scott Whitney's routes as I possibly could. And, and anybody who I could find rode their routes and then, um, entered the Baja rally and, uh, and I think it was 2014 and, and did really well. And so that was, that was pretty exciting. And so that parlayed into, you know, some more rally events, including the Sardinia rally in Italy, um, parlayed then into the Dakar rally really quickly. Um, things just fell together with that. And so I was able to go and do that. Um, and, and so I've been involved with a, a team called the rally Pan Am race team that has changed ownership over the years. And, and so the, the way that they exist is they essentially do fundraisers and they do rally schools and stuff to try to pay for their Dakar bills. And so I had a few Dakar bills left after, uh, after going some outstanding credit card, whatnot that I was carrying and really need to try to figure out a way to, you know, earn some money and pay that off. And so, um, I just continued the tradition of rally Pan Am doing a, a rally school every year. Um, and so after doing a couple of those and some other things, I finally had, I paid off my Dakar debt and I, and I said to myself, wow, do I want to take the path of trying to make money on the knowledge that I now have, or do I want to take path B, which is pay it forward do this for free, do it at my own expense and try to get as many people into rally as possible and really stoke that fire um, to make that, you know, a big bonfire so that we can get some Americans competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, at that time, Andrew Short was coming up to do some trail riding with us up in Colorado every year, uh, a few different times. And so got to know him pretty well. And he had a transition in his life where he wanted to go race rally because of a presentation that I did on my Dakar rally experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he bought a road book set up and, and uh, told me to meet him out in Dumont, California. And so we spent three days just um, teaching him the very basics of how to, you know, navigate and how to get around. So it was me uh, teaching him and Mark Samuels uh, how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And that year, Mark won the the Dakar Challenge or whatever it was at the Snore Rally, and mm-hmm. went on to go to the Dakar. And, and uh, um, I think Shorty went the next year, or maybe he went that year. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but so so being in the position that I am, blessed as I am, um, there is no amount of making money off of this that would be worth it. 
-hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I want to do something to give back to the sport. And so as I find an open weekend on the schedule or whatever, I will just, I'll just schedule it and I'll announce it via my social media, cap it at 25 people and it's free. I cover the cost of all the road books. I cover everything. You just have to show up with a bike that's ready to go. Yeah. So that's kind of my deal. I'm willing to do it more times per year. Um, just seems like once a year, I could probably do it twice a year now, but, uh, um, now that, so I, this past spring <laughs> during COVID, I laid out about a thousand kilometers of, um, unique rally routes, uh, in the Western Colorado and Utah area. And, uh, <clears throat> so I can make it closer to where I'm at because driving to Southern Nevada, Southern California is a bit of a jaunt for me to get out there. And so now, now I've got some routes mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I, I can get a lot more people. I, I can do it more often at a lesser expense uh, to me. So um, that's kind of how I got into the schools. And I really try to keep my schools like basic. Um, and the, the underlying message in my schools is I really want to see uh, a handful of these guys at each one of these clinics I put on, go ahead and take the next step and enter a competitive rally in Mexico, you know, and to me, it doesn't really matter which one. I just want them to take that step and get into a competitive event, whether it's Baja rally, snore rally, whatever. Yeah. So that, you know, they'll catch the, they'll catch the bug too. They'll catch the fire too. And then it'll spread like wildfire and then we'll have all kinds of people, you know, wanting to do it. Wanting to do it. And so that's my goal. Is to, and I really want to see the rallies in Mexico, like the Baja Rally Series, and the Sonora Rally, and the Coast to Coast, or whatever's going on in Mexico. I really want to see them succeed, mm-hmm. because if if they if they succeed, then North American Rally can go. But if the events don't succeed, then we have a problem. So I kind of take ownership into uh, being the guy who drags a few more people to the rally, you know, every yeah. single year. So, and I'm more than happy to, to be in that position. I'm blessed to be able to be in that position. So I, I just really want to pay it forward. So and that's, that's how it started. That's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> how it started and how it's going. Right. Yeah. Right. The, yep. and, and you mentioned something interesting cause that was something that I had talked to a few people about is that the, the pace of rally is very different when you compare it to the sprint races of the Bajas and uh, the, the best in the desert races and things like that. Right. I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, so <clears throat> the fastest guy is not the guy that always wins. It's the guy who makes the least mistakes navigating. And so I feel like that's appealing to a lot of people who aren't willing anymore to risk personal injury, you know, Mm-hmm. to try to hang it out and go fast. Um, you know, and there's a lot of cool things to see in Mexico that you, you don't see in the Baja 1000 or, or the 500. Yeah. Um, and when you, when you approach it at a, at a pace that the rally presents, you can see a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. The 1000 can't take the routes that the Baja rally can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's so much more of Mexico to see in a rally that you would never see in a score event. Yeah. yeah I agree with you there. What, so, now like you've done both types of events i i feel like that sometimes might be a barrier for people is the terrain typical rally terrain versus typical baja terrain you know that you would see in those races yeah yeah um and i feel like if if uh if a person has been to one of my rally schools whether that be in utah or in uh, nevada southern california they will have experienced terrain that if they can conquer that terrain, they're going to be able to conquer Baja rally terrain. Um, you know, and there's nothing like riding single track in Mexico and riding on the beach in Mexico, but I've got routes that include single track here. Yeah. We don't have any beach, but, uh, I mean, we'll save that (laughs) super special piece for, for the rally participants. You get the mountains. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We can loop around in the mountains and stuff, but, uh, yeah. So, so I feel like they're not at a disadvantage. Um, anybody that's done any of my schools has that base covered. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That it's definitely, um, I feel like rally terrain usually tends to be a little bit more forgiving. Uh, for one, it's definitely not as beat up. Um, and yeah. 
I mean, that to me is huge, you know, uh, not only that, but you know, you're going to have to ride five days, you know, or six days like this year with what Baja rally announced plus the other two races that they're doing. So, yes, I think it very, so, uh, so that's the big thing is like, you don't, you don't just want to just make it the finish line today on day one. You need to be focused on the finish line of day five, you know? Um, and yes, you need to make it through today's course, but like you should not be risking day five just to try to go faster on day one. Yeah. And so those are some of the things we talk about in school. Yeah. Cause there's, there's more strategy to it. Right. I mean, uh, I think some people were exposed to that recently with, uh, the video that, uh, monster put out for Ricky and talking mm -hmm. about strategy. And sometimes you don't want to be number one. No. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's just the thing. Like, um, in a, if an event has a prologue, um, you know, I'll, I'll scrutinize that really carefully figuring out how long the prologue is, what the start order of the prologue is, you know, what my strategy in the prologue is. Um, and to be quite honest with you in a Mexico rally, I would rather finish the prologue like in like halfway down the field, all the way to last in the field in the prologue, if it's short enough, mm -hmm. prologue's only 20 K you know, how much time is it going to take? It's not going to take very much time at all to do a prologue at 20 K. And so I'd rather give up five minutes mm -hmm. just park beside the trail on the prologue, letting everybody go and then start last on the next day and then just make all that time up to the beginning. I would not want to start first, you know, on the first real day. So yeah, yeah get definitely some strategy, get some tracks out in out in front of you. Yeah. It's that. And you know, I mean, cause you know that, all the guys on the next day are going to completely go to school on you and it's going to be a much longer 200 K day or something like that. And mm -hmm. there's a whole lot more time to be gained on that second day than there is anywhere in a prologue, especially a short one. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's why I would kind of like to see, you know, seated riders based on finishing position and previous rally events. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, get rid of the prologue day. Yeah just do a full blown day on the first day. Yeah, we, we did. Um, I mean, we did something like that similar, uh, not, uh, this past year, but the year before where we drew, basically we drew names out of a hat to get people into an order, but day one was go time. You know, there yeah. was, there was no prologue, um, for right. it. And, and I think people liked it. And I mean, it's, yeah. You know, yeah, I like there's, it. it. If somebody's gone through the, the expense um, and the effort to get all the way to Ensenada to do a, you know, a rally that costs two or 3000 bucks. Um, those first 30 kilometers are not their first 30 kilometers of navigating. Um, and so just let's make it a race from the first kilometer on. Let's get going. So yeah, exactly. No need to tune it up for 30 k <laughs> Yeah, we'll save qualifying for other races. I mean, basically, that's what prologue is. I mean, I think some people don't understand the, with the whole prologue thing, but uh, it's just qualifying, right? Yeah, Get your seat yeah exactly. The next day. Yeah. yeah. So, mentioned it a little bit earlier um, about the bike, and when you say when they show up to your school and getting a bike ready to go. So, I mean, are we looking for uh, DRZ four hundred with you know a hundred k on the clock or? you know, what, what is, um, what is ready to go? Great question. Um, and, and it really, uh, has a lot to do with your budget and then like how competitive you think you want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> like I could probably get on a, you know, a TTR 225 with a roadbook setup and probably do just fine at the rally events. But you know, if my expectation is to be in the top three kind of every day, then I need to have a competitive motorcycle. And, um, and so while any old motorcycle will do, you want something that's going to last for five days. Yeah. So you're talking 200, 250 miles a day times five days. You know, you don't want to bring something that's 10 years old mm -hmm. uh, because you cannot replace all the parts that will break on that motorcycle. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I don't care how well you like it and how well sprung the suspension is and how well it works and all that stuff. Starting with, with an older motorcycle just puts you at a disadvantage of not finishing the event because something is going to break. Um, and that's about rally is, is rally will find the weak points in your preparation and starting on really old equipment will you, you'll find the weak points really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so that doesn't mean you have to have a brand new motorcycle, but that means, you know, it should be within a few years old mm-hmm. and it should be, you know, you should be, you should have gone through pretty much everything on that bike, making sure that it's fresh. Yeah. The, the one thing you forget is going to be the one that bites you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you haven't replaced the chain or the master link on the chain, or you, you know, you said the counter sprocket is good enough or, you know, that one seal is only leaking a little bit or whatever. Like it's heard all these you. famous last words. <laughs> it's it's going to take you down. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, you know, you got, you have the bike picked up and I know that there's, you know, the guys with the, the 500 EXCs and the 525s and, and the 450s hanging out. What's, uh, what do you think the next step handlebars fairing or, or just, um, well, I've got a lot of friends that are in the business of selling lots and lots of cool doodads mm-hmm. uh, and rally setups. Um, after I rode my first rally without a fairing, I realized that my neck hurt really bad after about the second or third day because so much wind is coming into my face, you know, and I could adjust my visor a little bit, but it still would whip my head back. Um, at the faster speeds that some of the rally sections have. And um, I, so the next time I showed up for a rally, I had a full fairing and I got to tell you, it was sure nice to kind of hide behind that screen and, and have it push the wind um, and, instead of having my head just catch the wind all the time. And, um, so yeah. an, <laughs> another thing to think about when you're putting a rally bike together is the more stuff you add on your motorcycle, the more stuff that's going to break. Um, and you can't, I mean, it's impossible to, to race test, you know, do a five day race test on, on, uh, all the stuff that you intend on putting on your motorcycle. So, um, be careful what you put on and make sure that it's good quality and it's going to last a thousand miles. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I agree with that because it's, uh, it's a lonely place out in Baja. Um, you know, at least that's where I know, but, but, to be said too, and I've seen this at Baja rally is because of the format, it seems like, um, the camaraderie between racers is very different, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, after about the first hundred kilometers, you realize really quickly that, (laughs) um, you want somebody to help you out if you have a problem. So you're definitely now game to help somebody else out if they have a problem because you never know when that favor is going to get returned. Uh, so you're still there. Yeah. All right, cool. So, um, so, so seconds don't matter anymore. Hardly even minutes matter, you know, once you're in a 200 kilometer stage. So, um, um, it, it, it changes your mindset. You know, you're more about, holy cow, I got to, I got to really, uh, work my butt off to make sure that I get the finish line every single day. Definitely. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I agree. And I've seen that, you know, with people, uh, you know, somebody takes a spill or whatever and they launch their road, but equipment, um, and they'll, you know, they'll team up and they'll ride in together or, you know, they'll, they'll help each other out. You know, Hey, I've got zip ties. The next guy's got duct tape and the other one's got chewing gum and they make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely been in the situations where, you know, I've helped guys out as well as I've been helped out, you know, to get to the finish line and, and, uh, you're going to find yourself on both sides of that equation. So at some point it's always yeah. the best to, to help a guy for sure. Yeah. So we're talking, we're going down the path of the equipment and stuff like that. And this is actually something that I was considering and, uh, road book holders. I mean, there's, there's a few companies out there yes. and there's, I mean, you know, the, the Aurora's of the, you know, of the industry and then F2R and MIG tech and all of these guys. Um, 
do you have a preference? And if somebody's getting into this, like is a manual, you know, manual advanced non-motorized good enough or what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So as far as uh, equipment goes, um, it, it is better to get the right equipment, um, out of the gate first and then, then not have to reinvest in an additional set of equipment when you, you know, when you decide to go to a competitive rally, um, just buy the right stuff. I mean, the, the rally community is, is tight knit. It's close. Uh, we all kind of know each other and you know, if for whatever reason you decide to get out of it, um, it's pretty easy to make a post on social media and get, get out of your equipment. Yeah. So yeah, not a big deal there. I say, uh, do it right first, get the right roadbook holder, uh, get the right mount for it. Um, there's a lot of different ways to go mm -hmm. there. Um, and so, and my advice also is to keep it simple, uh, and not try to overcomplicate things again. That's just, you know, more, more stuff to break. Yeah. So more, more stuff to fix on the trail side. If it, if it goes South. Exactly. Yep. Simple and clean is the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with that. So, and then you saw, I mean, with the Dakar coming and all of that, what, um, I saw it resurface and it had been gone for a while, but, uh, electronic road books. Uh, yeah. What, uh, uh, so you're talking about like it automatically advances. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going all the way with automatically advances, but now it's like, it seems like the paper road books, they're working their way okay. out. Yep. So, uh, so that is, that is a, um, there's truth to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, you'll find that in the Dakar rally first, um, mm -hmm. uh, it, it will catch on much slower at other events because, you know, at some sort of a lesser event, you don't want to, maybe you're not ready to buy an iPad and bolt it up, you know, to your handlebars and race mm -hmm. with it. Um, it seems easier, whatever, or simpler to just have a paper road. Yeah. So, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm old school and I like paper, but it seems like as I'm talking to Shorty and Ricky and those guys, they're training with uh, iPads mm -hmm. quite often whenever they can get digital routes. Yeah. Um, not everybody's doing digital routes right now, um, but everybody's definitely doing paper. <laughs> so that's why I tend to train guys on paper routes first. Yeah. Well, and I, and you know, and I agree because at, at what point, like um, I saw, I saw a prototype at the Sonora rally a couple of years ago of what, uh, I think the Dakar is going to be running next year. Yeah. And the big thing was, you know, can you read it in direct sunlight? Um, and, yeah. you know, obviously it's got, it's pretty much got to be purpose built for, for that. But I think that the entry cost is going to be even, even higher. And if the organization has to supply it, that's even more, you know, it's just, how do you even account for that? Right. Yeah, I agree. And so I think that, uh, you know, they're going to get specific about what sort of equipment, you know, if they're going to expect the rider to, to supply mm -hmm. it. Um, and you're going to have to show up with that kind of equipment. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that's the direction that it's headed. Um, I'm just not ready to go there yet because I'm not, I'm not ready to convert it. <laughs> That, I, I hear you, you know, I haven't, uh, I, I need road, road book experience, more road book experience, but I feel like there's something to do with like going every, over every note, highlighting it, you know, doing it your way rather than getting it handed to you, which seems like what yeah. they're going to be doing. Right. And, and so there are definitely, uh, uh, there are definitely advantages and strategy, um, inside of a paper road book. Mm -hmm. And so guys who know the game really well can definitely pull advantages on that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we, we're not dealing with those sorts of advantages um, in any Mexican rally that I know yeah. of. Uh, typically with a paper road book, uh, the advantages are gained when you have a, a map guy who can <laughs> take the road book and map out the entire stage in an hour. And then you hop onto a computer and you fly it essentially. Yeah. Um, and so that's the whole reason why they're getting away or, you know, the super high competitive rallies are getting away from 
are trying to get away from paper and go into digital is because then they don't have to give the routes to the riders ahead of mm-hmm. time. They give it to them and then before they start and then there's no advantages. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah, which is absolutely the, I think is the best way to do it. Cause I think that's where a lot of people, I mean, me personally, that's why I see rally is like, it's the great equalizer, you know, you could have right. a level, everything. I mean, just absolutely the baddest bike in town and blow the second waypoint. And now you're 20 minutes behind. Exactly right. Yeah. So yep. it's interesting, and 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 that's a good point. And I don't think that we'll see that at um, at the Mexican rallies, uh, Baja or Sonora. Um, and I know that yeah, only and only um, until the uh, FIM World Rallies start making regular visits to Baja. Mm-hmm. Um, only then will we start seeing you know people trying to gain competitive edges by figuring out the route ahead of time. Yeah. Um, while we're still in a paper world and, and FIM is not in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, I think we're safe on paper. Yeah. Routes. Yeah. I agree too. And, and I know, I mean, being, um, the other side of the table, being in the organization, you know, how there's things that we do to, uh, to prevent that, you know, cause I, th- I, I right. think the road books, the, it, it all depends on how the road book is designed and how much information you give up front. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so I understand the fear uh, from the promoter side of possibly having competitors figure that stuff out, Mm -hmm. but everybody's going to Mexico right now to have fun. And that's what I love about it. Um, And, and I just don't feel like anybody's putting in that extra work. I may be totally wrong. I may be the guy, the only guy in the dark, (laughs) not doing it, but uh, I I just don't feel like they're spending that sort of energy because we're all just down there. Now. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah, I agree with that. And, and not only that, but I also think too, that if, um, if you got the big, big teams down, um, there's not as much on the line that where I think that they would be more inclined to practice a clean road book, not modified, no, no competitive advantages. Like, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but you got to read road books like for the morning. Some people read the morning paper and I feel like these guys got to be reading road books every morning. Yeah. You know, so. yeah, it's true. I mean, so the competitive advantage comes uh, when you start having enough time inside of road books that you can start to read the personality of the person who laid out the road book. Mm-hmm. So it, it only takes me a day or two before I have completely pegged the rally personality of the promoter and I kind of know what their tendencies are mm-hmm. and I know, you know, what things they like to do or not do. Um, so I definitely can tell the personality of, of the person who laid it out mm-hmm. just based on how it's laid out. So it's, it's kind of fun to, to see that. It's a new experience. For sure. What, uh, can you get a little detail on that? Like, what do you mean? Like how things are marked or... Um, yeah, exactly. So how the tulips are drawn, uh, um, what intersections actually have tulips versus which ones don't, um, how much detail goes into it, how much, uh, uh, how much is, how much detail does not go into each tulip. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of different pieces and parts. I mean, I can draw, uh, I can draw a obstacle next to the trail. And if I just draw it in a slightly different angle, I can tell what the promoter is trying to tell me and, and based on what they're trying to tell me or what they're not trying to tell me um, is how they're trying to be a little bit elusive with, you know, the real direction to go. So say you show up at an intersection, there's five different choices of direction, you know, cause the road splits into five, mm-hmm. which happens in Baja. Um, and so the promoter can give a whole lot of detail and make sure you get on the right one or they can lighten up on the detail to make you question your decision, mm-hmm. whether or not you're on the right one. Um, and so you can kind of tell, you know, what the promoter's trying to do to the, to the top guys <laughs> trying to throw them off a little bit, you know, get them to question the, the decisions that they're making along the way. So it, it's yeah. fun. It's a fun, fun game for sure. Yeah. No, no, Absolutely. Uh, it, it keeps you, it keeps you guessing. And then, like you said, you know, it's like that, you know, did I make the right decision that, that power, yeah. the power of doubt? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I got a good friend who, uh, who went to Dakar, <laughs> um, 
and his first day of roadbook experience, very first day mm -hmm. of roadbook experience, um, loaded a roadbook in and went and started riding it and started making mental adjustments. Um, and you know, just started kind of excusing away this corner and that corner and well, maybe my mileage off was there. Maybe, maybe it was a little bit wrong there. And I think I saw a tree back there and that tulip had a tree in it. Pretty soon he was 50 miles away from where anybody else was because he just, he was way too loose with his standards in his mind compared to the guy who actually laid the road book out. Yeah. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting how, you know, um, there's a level of focus uh, that you kind of need to achieve and you need to kind of parallel the, that level of focus that the promoter has uh, with you as you're riding. Mm -hmm. um, I also know guys who compete in rallies who are so focused that they get super disturbed when the tulip is not exactly what is on the ground and they'll just sit there at that intersection and do donuts because they just can't figure out, um, they can't make sense that the road is like two or three degrees off mm -hmm. <laughs> what Whoa. it says on the tulip. And, uh, you know, you just kind of got to go with the flow sometimes. So it's interesting. Um, just kind of reading those personalities. Yeah. And, and we've seen it like, I mean, some people that follow the Dakar, right. They've seen that. I think it was what, two years ago where they, there was a, a line in a wash that a few people, I think two people got it and everybody else went the wrong way. And that turned into a, a thing. Yeah. It made the difference in who won the car and who didn't. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's like, um, you know, I, I think there was a, uh, I, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, there was people who were paying attention and people who were just going fast. Yeah. So, and that's in, it's the, the definite, um, and then you probably mentioned this. So in your, in your classes, uh, you guys talk about marking up a road book, right? I mean, that's, that's yes. part of the, um, cause that's something that I've noticed like in, in collecting road books, um, that everybody talks differently to themselves Yeah, and in road books, they highlight differently and, and stuff like that. And I think it reflects. That's exactly right. I mean, so what I do is, you know, if I told you to mark a road book and you've never even seen a road book, you wouldn't even know where to start. Um, and so I give everybody like two or three suggestions on how to start. And I give them an example of what my roadbook looks like. And so, um, and then I tell them, Hey, you want to may mark, may mark your left turns with this sort of color or your right turns with this color or on this side of the tulip or that side of the tulip or, you know, on a danger, you may want to draw a big pink triangle leading up to it, or you may want to do whatever. So, um, or waypoints, there's different uh, waypoints are so key because they carry such high penalties if you miss mm -hmm. them, you know, so so how, how intensely marked should you uh, mark those waypoints on your roadbook? I mean, to me, I think it's super important, but everybody's got their own way of doing it. Um, it's fun to see, yeah, because everybody develops their own language about how they talk to themselves, yeah. just like you said. I mean, the main, the main goal is not to ride off into the sunset. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My main goal is to make it to the bivouac. Yeah. Everybody's got to get home. Yeah, I, I've I've seen that in watching tracking sometimes at the uh, at the Baja rally. You know, so, all right, I'll yep. let them go for another minute, and then I got to send them a message. <laughs> Turn right. around, exactly. Yeah, dude. Yeah, the beach is not where you want to head to right now. <laughs> I understand it's beautiful down there, but <laughs> yeah, all right. You missed that left. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Turn left. Yeah. <laughs> you got fifty k to go. Yeah, and it's and and that's that's the challenge, right? That's what you're talking about earlier. I mean, it's, yeah. you're going to see things, you're going to get to experience places. And, uh, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, you know, Hench, Steve Hengeveld saying that he's all, I've been riding down here forever and I've never been down this road. Yeah, you know? exactly. And seeing those communities and, and that house and, and those kids playing in the yard. And, you know, I, I had a, a tire failure <laughs> in Southern, um, Let's see, Southern Baja mm -hmm. uh, at the, what was it, Cortez Rally, or maybe it was the um, Nora Rally. Mm -hmm. And so I pulled into a village, and you wouldn't believe the people that came out with tools and parts and all that stuff trying to get me back on the road. It was pretty oh, amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, it was really cool. That's, uh, 
that is definitely uh, that is definitely Baja, and and you know it's it's cool because you don't expect it, and then all of a sudden it's wait what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. And such friendly people. Um, I I love Mexico for that reason. Yeah, it's a very sure. very different. So that's something else that's different. So spectating a rally is kind of different, right? I mean, I you know I know how Dakar does it, and they kind of herd everybody into an area, but do you think that's detrimental to, to these rallies, you know, not, not having um, spectators present, you know, sorry, just cough there real quick. Um, detrimental. So detrimental to the survival of the sport because there aren't spectators. Yeah. Or a yeah. physical safety or yeah. I mean, safety and cause it's kind of weird. Cause I, you know, it seems like, you want spectators, but then you don't because that also is part of the reason you can gain access to some of these places because you can tell them, hey, it's just us. Right. So I fully understand and sympathize with the promoter in the uh, route choice and the secrecy of the route. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for a couple of reasons, um, the more secret the route is, uh, the more that guy out in front has to navigate and do a really good job navigating. If there's specter- spectators lined, you know, every intersection all the way through, how did the spectators know that that's where the course was? Mm-hmm. Somehow somebody told them that the riders will come through here and then they'll turn right on that road and then they're going to turn left on that sand wash or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so like once you, once the promoter has let that information out, then it can always get back to the racers and then they have some sort of an unfair advantage because they know where it goes. Mm -hmm. That was one thing I found with Dakar that was just super intriguing is not that I was at all towards the front, but for 6,000 miles, there were spectators lined on both sides of the course the pretty much the entire way. And so it was really difficult to make a wrong decision, Mm -hmm. uh, a wrong course decision at Dakar. Because as soon as you turn out of the people, you know you're going the wrong way. Like stay in between the the lane, stay in the lane that the people are on, and uh, you know that's probably your course. Yeah. So Mexico Baja is definitely not that way, and it's uh, you know there's nobody out there watching you. You got to be really careful with your decisions. Yeah. Um, well, you're also, yeah. I mean, you're, it's not that big. <laughs> you know, the oceans to the left and the oceans to the right. So. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, worst case scenario, yeah. you end up at one of the two oceans. <laughs> right, exactly. So, and even then, that's yeah. not a bad day. <laughs> no, that's totally good if that's what happened. And you know, and then and then that's what's so important about the tracking system that all these events have is like it's it's such a cool safety factor um, because you're always going to have be in communication and be able to get yanked out of a situation like that. So. Yeah. Um, that's what I love about it is, you know, I'm more than happy to pay the entry fee for a rally because I, I got somebody watching me over my shoulder the whole time. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that is definitely, um, we, you know, in, in my time with, uh, with Baja Rally, it's definitely one of those things, like, I feel much better about it just simply on that, that, okay, I can see where they're at. And then, yeah. you know, and then with satellite comms and all of this stuff now, it's like, it's crazy. Like, you know, there's, I, it, and it brings me to, does it, I feel like sometimes that's kind of like the, might be a barrier. I've talked with Scotty from Baja Rally about this. Like, I feel that a lot of people think they're going to get lost and just completely sideways. And that's an entry barrier for them. Like, eh, I don't even want to mess with road books. They're confusing. Right. And, and so I would encourage those guys to come ride, you know, some of my routes, whether it be out of, uh, you know, Utah area or Nevada, California, mm-hmm. come ride and understand that you can get through this and you can find yourself. It is such a satisfying, satisfying feeling, um, completing a hundred kilometer loop and ending up back at your truck, you know, and all you did was follow instructions on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, it's pretty crazy when you think about it, but it's so satisfying when you get done with it. And so once you gain that little bit of confidence that you need up here in the States practicing, um, you can translate that down to Mexico and be successful doing it without a doubt. Yeah. yeah I think in, with us using the rally comp, like I do, um, stage testing over here and that beep, when you get the beep, when you hit a waypoint, yeah. <laughs> I know that's oh, sad. Yeah. It's emotional. 
Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it triggers emotions. It's, it's kind of an amazing device. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's been, but I, you know, yeah, I, I, we've been talking about that for a while and I feel like that's, and, and I don't think people realize this. I, I have a video coming, but if they ever printed out a Google, Google maps or a Yahoo maps piece of paper for directions, right. they pretty much had a, the same they thing. had a road book. This, I mean, it's literally a road book. Distances exactly. and arrows. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. In this uh, in this new world, this new age that we live in, where you know we just listen to our phone tell us where to turn left and where to turn right, and we don't bother trying to figure things out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we just let our device think for us. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I think that's where society's taking a wrong turn. Uh, correct. You know, we need, we need to keep our brain sharp. Yeah. So Every, everybody's looking down at the phone or pen, you know, waiting on the phone to tell them, and then it sends them down some road. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't think anybody yeah. has ever used Siri a hundred percent successfully and said, Oh yeah, it works every time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Some place you don't want to be. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, so I know with the whole COVID thing and all that going on. So your schools, what's, what's, yeah. the, how can we get, how can we get people to you? What do we, where can they find? So, Right. So I try, I'm, I'm not uh, trying to commercialize this at all. Um, it seems like I've got, you know, a pretty good group of friends on social media, whether that be Facebook or Instagram. Um, and so I typically just announce uh, a school that's coming up um, about two or three months ahead of time, list out the dates. Um, and people just hit me back with a private message or whatever. And I develop a list and, and then uh, when it fills up, then I just, you know, send out that announcement that it's full and, uh, and just see everybody in two months. So then I keep a waiting list also. And um, typically half of the people that sign up, you know, have to bail out for one reason or another. And I totally understand that. So I'll add people from the waiting list onto, uh, onto the main list um, and typically get everyone who's interested uh, to the event without a problem. So um, yeah, just go to my Instagram or my, uh, Facebook, just Google Scott Bright. You'll find okay. me or search it. Yeah. And I'll put, um, I'll put some links in the description for the, uh, of this episode. So we can get, uh, okay. get some people headed your way. And I, and I think that's cool. I like what you said, you know, you made, you made the routes around Colorado, um, you know, around your area and where you're at so you can do more. Um, and I think that that's part of the adventure. You know, all right, cool. Well, if, if you're not going to race an event, I'm going to go do the class, but I'm going to go get to see some parts of Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. There's some really cool riding uh, that people, you know, people tend to go to Green River or they go to Moab or they go to Grand Junction and ride. Mm-hmm. Well, this is all the stuff that they're not riding in all of those places. And it's all connected with road books and gas stations and all that stuff. And so um, that's what I love about it. So yeah, just to just to clarify or give you an introspection on that, we did a rally school this past May mm-hmm. um, in Grand Junction. Obviously, everything was pretty much locked down, but there were a lot of guys around the states who were able to make mm-hmm. it. I think we had 30 or 32 people show up to that school. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was all free. Uh, Canada was shut down at the time. Um, and so half of my entrance, mm-hmm. half of my people that were coming were coming from Canada and they were just waiting for the border open. Mm-hmm. And obviously it never did. So we just brought in a whole lot more people from the States to that one. So I've got a whole bunch of people who want to come down from Canada to ride it too. Yeah. So I have a feeling that if I did that rally school twice a year, you know, we could easily fill it up with, you know, 20, 25 people each time. That's rad. That's absolutely rad. Cause I mean, it's, you know, getting to see all of this, do all of that. I mean, it, it's, uh, and, and the cool part is the interest is there. So now, now the goal is all right so we've got some rallies in mexico and now you know hopefully we could grow this thing i I don't know stateside what do you well so um by nature uh rally has to go point to point Mm -hmm. uh and it has to travel such large distances Mm -hmm. um to be rally worthy Mm -hmm that it takes so much land to pull that off and about the only place you could probably ever pull off a real competitive rally is um nevada um 
you're also dealing with, you know, public land regulations. Um, California is not so friendly. No. Uh, Arizona, there's not a ton of stuff yet. Although I'm working with some friends on building a bunch of routes out of Wickenburg, Arizona. So that's going to be another spot where we're going to be able to go during the winter to ride is Arizona, you know, when everything else is kind of snowed in. Um, so hopefully we'll have four or five days, uh, Wickenburg all the way out to Havasu and back. Nice. Uh, so looking forward to getting that done too. Um, but yeah, so competitive rallies, maybe Nevada, but I mean, we all saw 20 years ago what the Nevada 2000 rally was all about. Mm-hmm. It was cool, but it was a once one and done deal. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever going to pick that up. Um, and the liability is just huge. Yeah. So, uh, you know, no promoter wants to put their neck out on the line for that. Yeah. It's, it, I tell you, I, I think that's tough. I mean, especially here with the land, you know, the land restrictions and, and the just drawing, you know, a comparison between the two, you know, in, in Mexico, it's like you, you walk up to the rancher, you get to know the rancher, you talk to him about it and what you're planning on doing. And, and, and usually they're pretty cool with it, especially when you tell them, hey, we'll throw a speed zone here. We'll do this. We'll do that. You know, no spectators and all that. And I feel right. like over here, it's like, okay, well, now you got to pull permits. You got to go talk to this and the permits this. And, you know, just. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and, and uh, you know, as soon as you're, as soon as you appear to be making money off something up here, <laughs> even if you're not, you're investing your life savings into it. Uh, everybody wants a piece, right? Um and they feel like if there's money being being taken in the form of entry fees, then hey, you know, maybe I could sue that guy for, you know, running over a endangered turtle on my plant land or something like that. I yeah. don't know. It's just yeah. it just opens up. I mean, we have way too damn many lawyers in America. Yeah. Um and that's what makes America not such a great place to race a rally. Mm-hmm. Um as of right now, Mexico is a whole lot more friendly towards that. And they have a much better attitude about, um, riding on public lands down yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we see it even when we do the fun rides, you know, and, and they, in some places they are tired of it, but it's because people treat it like racetracks. And I think that, uh, what we talked about earlier is that the rally racing is such a different concept when it comes to speed and when it comes to just outright just going for it that I think that the ranchers and the landowners are more willing to accept that, especially if they know that, you know, they don't have to worry about 60 people on their property, campfires, cans, trash, you know, all of that. Right. And that's, what's cool about, uh, about rally and about the fact that it's a secret route is that you don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Yeah. Definitely keeps it down. Yep. Well, cool. Well, so we got, uh, we got your rally school. We will get some links down there so we can get, um, get people out, uh, out to you. Yeah. Uh, checking that out. Well, get on the waiting list is what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't, I, I'd like to do an event in the spring, you know, maybe March, April. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I nail down, uh, my obligations for this next year, then I can pick a weekend that works and, uh, drop that in and then we'll try to do another one in the fall. Um, you know, and and so if we're doing stuff out in the desert, it's nice to do it when it's, you know, not so hot. Correct. It can get to be 120 degrees out there and that's just no fun. Yeah. Uh, so doing it in April slash October, November are great times to do rally schools. Awesome. Uh, so one more question. So, and this obviously it still pertains to the school. So if somebody's interested in, in going to that, um, so on their bike, uh, they're going to need the roadbook holder, uh, whether it's electronic or mechanical, like mechanical advance or electric motor. Uh, right. Do you, do, are they going to need the ICO? Are they going to, you know, the cap heading or odometer? So, so they will need, uh, they will need the roadbook holder to be able to load a paper roadbook in. They will need a odometer that reads in kilometers because every rally in the entire world is measured in kilometers. We're the only oddballs in the world that measure our stuff in miles. Mm -hmm. So I'm going with what all the competitive rallies are doing and I'm laying all mine out in kilometers. So you need a odometer that reads in kilometers. That's resettable. That's key because when you get lost and you then get found, then you need to reset your odometer to 
whatever mileage it is that you're actually at rather than what it says. So it needs to be resettable forward and back. Uh, and then you need some sort of a device that will give you a cap heading. Mm -hmm. Um, a compass, a dial compass is not going to get it done. You're going to need something that shows a digital readout for a compass. Okay. Um, all of that technology exists in one instrument called the ICO Rally Max G. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can kind of piece together other pieces and parts to, to achieve that yeah. Uh, setup. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's fairly, uh, fairly straightforward. I mean, and I don't think we'll, we'll put some links and we'll work together on, um, I'll get some more information from you where you would recommend maybe people getting this kind of stuff. Uh, so we can, again, you know, the idea is try and get some more people in it and kind of lay everything out. Uh, yes. Um, I mean, another thing that's helpful is to have, you know, some fuel range on your bike okay. showing up with a motocross tank is not going to get it done. You're not going to get too far out there before you run out. Um, typically I set up my gas stops, my gas availables, my gas stations on the course mm -hmm. about 80 miles apart. Okay. So, uh, and you're not doing like 80 race miles, you're doing 80 trail miles. So your fuel is going to last a lot longer. Mm -hmm. uh, so make sure you got some fuel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, I've had uh, that happen before. Oh, I've, I've ridden 140 miles on, uh, on this tank. And then when you start going race pace, it's a very different gas mileage that you get out of the bike. <laughs> well, it's that and like how much time and mileage are you spending lost, you know? So I'm going to budget 20% lost mileage into my range. Yeah. You know, uh, if the promoter says I need to go a uh, hundred kilometers between here and the gas station, I plan on having to go 120. Yeah. It's unfortunately it's going to happen. But yeah, it's gonna you'll learn how to find yourself. So one more on the on your road books. Um, yep. Before people start, you know, get, jump on the internet and they start learning French. Are you doing your road books in French or did you switch to English? Um, or combination. Yeah, it's been a couple months since I've looked at them. Uh, so we do use French notations. Okay. Um, sometimes I'll do put some English on there, but mostly French in the, in the basic sort of mm -hmm. stuff. Like I'm not going to get real descriptive in French, mm -hmm. but I'll use the basic French stuff that you're going to see most of the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and we'll go over that the morning of, or the night before we'll talk about what O U E D is and what A G is and what A D is. Mm -hmm. Um, and once you write those things down, and once you go through the roadbook and you start marking up your roadbook and you just right next to the AG, you put left and the next to the AD, you go right or whatever those yeah. are, uh, you'll start to familiarize yourself with what that is. You'll start thinking in French. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> well, you just recognize the letters and you just connect the dots. But yeah, I, I don't want anybody yeah. freaking out thinking, oh, great. Now I got to go learn French. Well, it's kind of funny because the arrow on the tulip is pointing left and it says AG. <laughs> And then the arrow on the tulip is pointing right and it says a D, yeah. you know, um, pretty soon you start to figure out exactly what left and yeah, right is. Exactly what, uh, what they do. I had, uh, I had somebody mention that to me. He's all, I spent all this time learning French and now they're going to switch it to English. And you know, it, it's really not that different you know, it's just a different symbol. Yeah, but it's the same. Right. Yeah. Sweet. Well, cool. Well, let's yep. uh, let's wrap it up. I mean, is there any any other okay. any other suggestions for the newcomer to this thing and what they might get into, what they need, what what to do? Um, so, I highly encourage people to uh, just come try it out. Like, don't be afraid of it. Uh, it won't bite. It's it's a cool sport. It's going to be a new adventure. And as long as you think of it in terms of adventure instead of race. Uh, and you get to go see new stuff that you would have never seen before. And that it doesn't matter if it's in Utah or Mexico or Italy or Africa, you know, it's going to lead down the road. And I've watched so many guys, you know, start in my schools and now they aspire to go race in Greece or in Africa or in South America, you know, and they go and do it. And it's so cool to watch people go live out adventures just because of the seed that was planted you know, just learning how to navigate. Yeah, um, yeah I, I love it. It's awesome. It's uh, Well, you, you mentioned it earlier before we got started, right? It's your ticket around the world. That's exactly right. You're going to think of all kinds of new reasons why you want to go to 
Mongolia or <laughs> some of these odd places. So it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. So wor- worst case scenario, you get lost and you get to see some even more epic stuff wherever you're at. Exactly. <laughs> right. You get to be the one guy that saw that one yep. thing instead of the 50 yep. guys. <laughs> yeah, definitely good for the stories. Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time joining us on this. You bet. And, uh, and like anytime. Yeah. And just, uh, just come find me on, uh, Facebook or uh, Instagram. Yep. Scott Bright at Scott Bright. Yep. Got it. Yep. All those <laughs> sweet. Well, yeah. Awesome. So I'll, Thanks, I'll Victor. wrap this up. Thank you very much for your time. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'm sure. You bet. Thanks, right, man. Have a good evening. Right. Yep. See we'll bye. see you.